everyone and welcome back to the Women of Xbox UK podcast. I'm Charlie from the Xbox UK team and I'm back in the hot seat, absolutely ready and primed for today's special guest. And this week is an absolute doozy. There are only a few people in the world that are actually this cool and have the surname to back it up. So today I am thrilled to introduce you today, the head of Halo Transmedia and Entertainment, Kiki Wolfkill. How are you, Kiki? I'm good. It's so nice to talk to you. I have to admit, I have complete like eye makeup envy right now. (laughs) Stop it! No, this is this really is just sort of I stamp on every day. I promise you, it's nothing special. (laughs) I just know what I'm doing. (laughs) Well, thank you. Talking of fabulous, though, (laughs) before we get into the thick of it, I would love for you to give everyone an elevator pitch on who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah, uh, so I head up, as my title would suggest, um, Transmedia (laughs) and Entertainment uh, at 343 Industries for Halo. Uh, So essentially what that is, is um, sort of all of the storytelling and universe building that we do around the games and really looking at different ways to tell stories across different mediums and Mm -hmm. also sort of create this ecosystem of storytelling that lets audiences come into Halo in different ways and also just be able to experience um, our universe differently. Amazing, so making Halo for everyone no matter how they want to consume Halo, correct? Yeah, yeah, you know, and creatively, um, you know, it lets us, it lets us really play with some, some different narrative ideas and um, you know, just really dig into all of the stories of Halo um, in a lot of different ways. I love it. Now we're going to dig into some of the stories of Kiki Wolfkill, though, if that's okay. And what <laughs> I like to do at the beginning of every episode is to get some rapid fire questions to get a top level view of who you are as a gamer. Now, I don't want you to overthink these okay. answers too much. The very first thing that comes to your head is fine. Question number one. Wait, wait, we need to sip coffee before the Okay, we need to energize. We need to energize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There we go. Okay, are you ready? All right, I'm ready. Perfect. Question number one then. What's the first game you ever remember playing? (laughs) Because I'm a million years old, it was Pong. (laughs) No. It literally was was Pong. It was. Wow, I love it. (laughs) It was. Yeah, I was just talking to someone the other day about the dial, the dial controller. Brilliant. Well, I love that the first game is the first game. So big fan of that. Mm -hmm. Question number two, what is without a doubt the best game you've ever played? Oh, that's nearly impossible. Um, I have really varied taste. (laughs) Well, yeah, because I have so many varied tastes, right? So they all sort of hit a different spot in in Mm -hmm. my Different day of the week, different mood. Yeah. 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 I will say just in terms of like pivotal experiences and I'm going to break your one game model. Um, (laughs) Like the first Doom on PC was like the first uh, just sort of like multiplayer, you know, group shared experience played Mm -hmm. every night, all night um, game for me. So it just has a special place in my heart. Um, We'll accept that answer. All right. I'll stick with that. (laughs) Just because of the personal resonance for me. Love it. Okay, then. So number three, what's a game that you love but wish more people had played or maybe even knew about? Um, Wow. So, um, and I think this is more than recency bias. Um, uh, While I've been over here, uh, I've played a lot of Spiritfarer, which is such an unusual beautiful, resonant, touching, um, relaxing game. Like it, Very, yes. it, it, it's such an interesting mix of genres. And when I try and explain the premise to someone, it's really kind of hard to make it sound like someone. <laughs> um, it's essentially about it, guiding people through to the afterlife, yeah, isn't it? And it it's, is. you're like looking it after is. a boat and letting people finish their mm-hmm. stories while they're with Mm -hmm. you and then you sort of shepherd them off into the next part which i think by the way anyone listening i believe that spirit fair is on game pass if you do want to check it out following that's actually that's how i that's how i discovered it um but yeah it's a premise that when you describe it doesn't make someone want to jump in and play um (laughs) but they should they should it's an amazing experience completely and utterly agree but number four completely opposite to spirit fairer but you know maybe it does this too what's the one game that made you rage the hardest oh 
Um, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> that is a tough one. Um, I will say that um, I have had um, Ori moments, and oh, I love yeah. Ori. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I'm a very harsh judge of myself when I'm participating in any sort of um, self-driven activity, um, <laughs> sports or otherwise, um, and Ori made me rage at myself. I mean, anything. From my lack of motor skills. No, times, no. Yes. I'm yes. with you. I think I've mentioned this on other podcasts. I just, I just can't do them. So I completely relate. So that's the <laughs> <laughs> very good. So I guess our last question then is who is your favorite video game character and or villain? Mm. I mean, I've gone on record to say that I think villains are my favorite. Handsome Jack, Vaz up there as well. Yeah. All my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say this because it will sound like um, um, pandering to my own IP. No, um, it's fine. <laughs> I no, I you know I have such a um, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say soft spot. Um, Doctor Halsey, in our okay. who who plays a bigger role in our IPs. Uh, in our in our stories and our books necessarily than in the games and so it's kind of cheating because it's more about her character than um, than maybe what you always experience in games but she's mm -hmm. uh, she's such a complex character and such a complex female character um, and has been for a really long time you know Halo being 20 years old now and so I loved that complexity of female character and is she a hero or is she not um, mm -hmm. So I would say she's she's one of my favorites. Perfect. And I love that you gave that answer. I think it's spot on. But I do have one final question. We have mm -hmm. uh, each of our guests on the podcast have been giving a question to our next guest on the podcast. It could be quite literally be whatever they want it to be about. I have zero control over this aspect of the podcast. It's been a little bit terrifying. Um, you've had a really interesting one come your way from our last guest, who was Katie Jo Wright. And she wants to ask oh. you... What would you tell your old self to do again? To do again? To do again. Yeah, I don't think she or gave you an do. easy question. Oh, uh, yeah, because there's so many things I would not do um, <laughs> <laughs> again. <laughs> um, you know, I would, I would say, um, and I actually tell myself to do this again. I have to tell myself to do this again all the time is to feel comfortable sort of stepping stepping off the ledge. Mm -hmm. I will say a lot of the opportunities that I've had in my life have come from being sort of terrified of the choice um, and knowing that there wasn't a particularly soft landing underneath me and doing it anyway. And maybe it's that fear that um, pushes you to, to succeed in that. Um, uh, and And I still have to sort of muster the courage to do that um now but i think that's what i would say is you know if 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 you feel like there's that opportunity on the other side step off the ledge and and if it if it doesn't work out you move on i love that i think that especially for someone you know speaking very personally about myself here but the the whole connection with fight or flight or the, the imposter syndrome I know a lot of people feel, particularly women in the mm -hmm. industry sometimes, that mm -hmm. I think that's really solid advice. And I think you know that as well, that it's really good advice. But yeah, I, I really do think people should take more risks and, and shoot their shot seems to be the phrase at the moment, that people just go for it and put themselves out there. Yeah. And so, you know, oftentimes the ledge is actually only a couple inches off the ground, but you've built it up in your head as being this giant risk. <laughs> sometimes totally. the ledge is legit 10 stories high so you gotta see if you make it though i love it but um i guess now we're gonna move on to you kiki if that's right and i don't know really where to begin but i think the most crucial thing to point out is as you've already mentioned is you are away from home at the moment shooting something in budapest now i'm not gonna get as much information as possible that's not what we're here for but i don't know do you want to let the let the listeners know what it is you're up to at the moment yeah um you know, it's not it's not necessarily secret because we've been working on this for so long. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but uh, I am in Budapest, uh, actually getting close to wrapping production on the Halo Amazing. television series. 
that we're doing with um, Showtime and Amblin and Paramount Plus. Um, it's been a really, really long journey to get here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've now spent um, a couple years here off and on, um, but really the most uh, COVID break aside in the last year and a half. And and we're really close to, to being done with shooting, which I, you know, at times really wasn't sure if we would ever get here. So <laughs> I'm, I'm coming up on the really bittersweet part of the project where we're starting to have cast leave and you know, we're, we're family. We've been here together fighting really, you know, sort of intense battles with, with COVID and this being a giant show and, um, you know, adapting Halo in this way for the first time. And so we're starting to shed family members, which feels really sad. On the other hand, I'm super excited to be done and I am even more excited to actually get home. Yeah, I can't wait. And you know what? I'm actually going to show some folks. So if you are listening to the podcast by, right now, uh, make sure you come over to the Microsoft UK YouTube channel where this is a visual podcast, if you didn't know. Because uh, I do want to show in the background, we're going to move on to your early life and your career, but I wanted to have a look at um, another epic Halo series that you've worked on, which is actually Halo Nightfall. We have a trailer running in the background here. Um, and I just want to quickly, I mean, obviously we will unpack all of this much later, but <laughs> what kind of vibes does this give you now that this is done, this is out there, but you're on to the next thing? Is it, is it good yeah. to look at? Is there, is there tough memories when you watch this back? Yeah, you know, it's funny. And I, it's funny seeing this. I literally can't remember this last time I saw this trailer. Um, and there's some really good stuff in there. Uh, <laughs> you know, we did a, we did a couple, um, digital, sort of digital shorts, um, sort of 90 minute pieces, um, uh, Nightfall, Halo Nightfall being the second of them. Uh And, uh, you know, they're relatively small budget, like really small budget compared to what we're doing now is also uh, quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I would say we had some success and we had learnings with Nightfall, um, a lot of learnings. Um, it was very VFX heavy for a small budget. And so when I look back on it, I have really fond memories because I don't think we could do what we are doing now. And I don't think I could do what I'm doing now without some of those hard learnings, um, Mm -hmm. that came out of what worked and didn't work with Nightfall. Um, so, um, you know, for me, uh, I don't mind the hard lessons, the failures, the the hiccups, if you will, as long as I have the opportunity to then take them forward and 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 do something better. Yeah, there's something. There's a phrase I use in my day to day work. Feel free to take it with you to Budapest, and that is L is for learning. Sometimes you got to learn from your losses. So uh, yeah, very much. Well, I'll tell you what. Then while this is running in the background, let's go. Let's go all the way back to uh, stage one young Kiki what was it like being Kiki what were you playing and sort of how did that lean into you eventually going into the games industry this is the area I want to dig into a little bit now so where should we start oh goodness so I mean I uh I feel super fortunate in that you know I grew up uh with parents who um sort of didn't feel like their children needed to slow them down so they just sort of lived their life and took us with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got to travel a lot um, and I would say have have been able to live a, a, a fairly adventurous life. Um, you know, as, as a kid, I was a huge reader and I always loved sort of these vast worlds, you know, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and um, like Watership Down. Like I, I was so, so um, intrigued with, um, being able to escape into another world. And so I think that's always been something, whether it's been in books or television or movies, being transported somewhere else and feeling part of something else, um, I think has always been a passion for me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then when I when I started to sort of get into visual storytelling, um, you know, it really, you know, the, the I wanted to be able to build these experiences that that people could could enter into. Um, but yeah, I grew up, you know, uh, in Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia. Um, I had a crazy imagination. 
Um, <laughs> I had many imaginary friends, uh, but I was always really supported by my parents in, um, in being able to be creative, right? I, I, I didn't have the kind of parents who, who felt like I needed to be a doctor or um, a lawyer, like that that needed to be what success looked like. Mm -hmm. That's um, brilliant, I love that. So I always felt, yeah, I always felt the freedom to be creative. Um, and I also loved school, so I was also very academic. So they were pretty sure I wasn't gonna be a complete failure. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> They don't think that now, do yeah. they? I know some yeah. parents. Yeah. It took my parents yeah. a while to convince yeah. them that working for Xbox was a good thing. So fingers crossed they don't think yes. of this about you now. <laughs> yes. Well, for a very long time, I really just, you know, referred to it as Microsoft, which made it much easier on them um, sure. than to yes. think that I was actually... <laughs> That, that went a long way for a long time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so how did you then get into telling these stories? Um, I, I think we've spoke or, or I've done some research and you went to college, you studied Chinese history. What was all that about? And how yeah. did that end up yeah. connecting you to, you know, storytelling? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I, when I, when I went to college again, I was, um, and I was lucky to have parents who supported this. I was like, well, you know, I don't know what I want to do. So I'm just going to study something I find interesting, um, which was Chinese history. And then as I started, as I started to get into that, I started to get into my head that I really wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. Um, and that, you know, China was a subject matter that I really wanted to sort of dig into first. And so, when I got my degree, I then started a second degree in broadcast journalism, which is where I learned to, you know, use a use a video camera and edit and sort of um, that different kind of narrative storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where I'd always been an artist. Um, I minored in art, like that had always been just a core part of my life. And so finding this motion medium um, was really exciting for me. Um, and before I finished that degree, I ended up taking, doing an internship at a, uh, a Paul Allen company. He was one of the original Microsoft, um, founders that was making sort of consumer, uh, like CD, DVD products, um, mm -hmm. multimedia, which was all the rage. Um, and so I bet that that's was a really, really uh, modern term back in the day. It was. <laughs> Yeah. Multimedia screensavers were like Goodness. cutting edge, cutting edge of entertainment. <laughs> but at that point, I still didn't really think about making games. Like I didn't really think about mm. having a career in games. But what that did do is that was the first time when sort of the my visual storytelling and being able to to work in video and technology and software came together. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was not really um, into computers. I will admit in high school, I had my best friend Elias do all of my like basic programming homework, um, which I guess in theory is cheating, um, but- um, <laughs> They can't take that back off you now. They, I, that's done and dusted. They just, signed the degree, so. Yeah, I was like, I just didn't see like why I would ever need to um, uh, to use that skill set. but then ultimately I did. And so uh, I had this internship opportunity and um, I told them that I knew Windows, which I knew of. And um, and then when I got then I when I when I got the internship, I just crash coursed at home. I got a computer, I got Windows, I figured out how to use it, and started um, digitizing videos. Very very exciting work, but. It was exciting in that at the time, digital video and digitization and compression technology and all of that stuff um, was nothing like it is today. This, mm -hmm. It sounds like this was in like 1893 or something, <laughs> but it kind of... Yeah, so do some but, dark arts back yeah, in the day. <laughs> it, it was, it was, but, but, um, but it did really um, sort of give me a very quick and deep understanding of, of media technology and digital media technology that I was able to carry forward and ultimately ended up uh, getting into like nonlinear editing and Avid systems and Flint and Flame and like sort of taking the, the tech to the next level. And what I found was it just unleashed my creativity, right? Like 
suddenly you could do things that you couldn't do with, you know, linear, linear editing and, and video. And um, so I started working on uh, uh, full motion videos for, uh, for games, for Microsoft games. Um, and Can that's, you remember any of the early ones how... that you worked on? Oh yeah. I had oh, yeah. Monster Truck Madness. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up ultimately working on most of the Madness series. Um, Kart Precision Racing, which was a, a PC racing simulator we did. Um, there was which I do early... want to talk about for more in a minute, actually, you and your carts, but we'll get back to this yeah, once you've... Uh... Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But yeah, I want to know what other yeah. games, like, what was that for you early days? Like, what, what sort of games were you working on? How were you doing your storytelling around those? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty fundamental or elementary at that time. And then I, I was also doing a mix of stuff. You know, I would mm -hmm. be editing like Monster Truck Madness. I, you know, I did like the intro, edited the intro video for that. But then for like our golf game, I was creating like custom 256 palettes that let you change the color of your like golfer's t-shirt, um, which was mm -hmm. literally painstaking, just like pixel work. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you have but, to put in the hard graft yeah. in the early days, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, truth. But what it did do is it it like ignited this passion for game making for a couple reasons. One is I loved the creative challenge of being co constantly constrained by technology and needing to sort of creatively problem solve creative problems within this technology framework. Also that the technology was changing so fast that mm -hmm. you, you were kind of always on your toes and you always needed to be innovating. And I found that, that, that intensity of environment really exciting and really challenging. Um, and then on the other side of it is, that's when I really kind of started to get back into video games after being out mm -hmm. of it um, since my childhood. And that's when you had games where, you know, like Tomb Raider and games where again, wow, I can be in a different world. Mm -hmm. um, I can be experiencing these different things. And, and so then sort of that storytelling and world building side of my head really got energized um, by that. Amazing. And I love that games woke up all of that for you as well. It's, there's just so yeah. many different fundamentals that games can have for people. But I said we'd mm -hmm. unpack it. And I do want to talk more about you, Miss Wolfkill, and these kart precision racing and the fact that in real life, you're somewhat of a, a car expert. Is that the correct way of phrasing that? Or I, I've definitely, I've definitely um, grown up around motorsports and cars. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, had a had raced competitively, um, amateur and professional for a period of time. Um, I was lucky enough to have sort of that passion and um, my game making passion come together. So I worked on a lot of racing games for a while. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that picture is from uh, Cannonball, uh, One Lap of America, which, as you can see, Xbox um, uh, sponsored. Um, Chris Novak was my co-driver for that, who was um, uh, the design lead on Project Gotham Racing with me. Mm -hmm. I was the art lead on it uh, back in the day. Um, and uh, that was this was actually after sort of my professional racing time, but was um, amazing. After your professional racing time. That's an entire yeah. different podcast itself, just asking you about <laughs> that. We have another picture of you as well. Do you have any um, standout moments from that professional racing career that you have had in this lifetime that you want to share with us? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's funny because um, uh, the, I, the thing that racing gave me, and I was racing and, and working in games at the same time, um, which was a, a tough schedule challenge, but, um, you know, for me, what I loved beyond just objectively, I, I just, I love driving fast. I love the mental challenge and emotional challenge and physical challenge of um, sort of mastering a car and a track. And, and, mm -hmm. and I'm, I love the level of competition. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the thing that it really did for me is, you know, if I went away for a race weekend, I was so intensely focused on that that it was a great way for me to sort of get my head out of work for a little bit and mm -hmm. be able to come back and 
um, maybe not be rested, but be mentally um, sort of refreshed. Um, like the I mean, sort of that mode just switching. Watch movies at the weekend <laughs> to have a break from work. You go book it around a track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just like I said, there's, um, you know, I think some of the things that I feel like have been um, assets for me in in the game industry are definitely things that I, I've been able to cultivate on the track or have also been assets for me on the track, which is being able to be in sort of a high intensity environment and mm -hmm. stay calm, like being able to um, be in a um, uh, in amongst a lot of ambiguity and being able to stay very focused. Like these are all things you need as a as a driver to be very good. Conditions change, things happen in a split second. It's super intense, it's super competitive, and being able to sort of stay centered and focused on the things that are most important um, is something that I think I was really able to sort of learn and train through the racing. Um, mm -hmm. That I think it also also helped me a lot on the on the game side. So there's there was definitely you know benefits um, that, that I was able to carry forward. And before um, we move on to the games bit, that picture we just saw then, when was that taken? That's it. Bring the picture back. Oh I want to talk God. about this picture I a bit. Know. It was my brother and I. Like we grew up, we grew up around racing. My uh -huh. my father raised my. Uh, I think I was actually in my mother's womb when she um, had participated in a race, which is obviously safe. Incredible. Um, yeah, but I, you know, we we grew up going to races. You know, it was the environment. Um, so it it was very natural for me when I eventually when I eventually started driving. Um, uh, it was an environment I felt really comfortable in, which you know, uh, not unlike. Um, at least uh, very early in the game days, it was purely mm -hmm. almost all men for a long time. Um, and I think because I'd grown up around it, when I when I started to get into it, I, I didn't really think of it as a thing. Um, you know, I, it was just something I, I wanted to do. Um, but yes, I spent much of my childhood at racetracks. <laughs> Amazing. By the way, the whole idea of like not really seeing that sort of divide when you were younger is something that, again, to completely take this podcast on a tangent, anyone who's listened to every episode know yeah. how frequently I do this. I currently have a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old girl who adores gaming. And I'm, I really do hope that she is a similar effect the way that you have with racing and that when she grows up, she does not see that divide because she has a mum who has never what well, she's just sort of opened the door for and let her go. And there's no such thing as like men who are mostly in charge of gaming or racing for your instance. It's just, if you want to do it, just do it. And I think it really does take leaders and influences and parents as well to to sort of demonstrate that belief. And I just, I just love that that's happened for you and fingers crossed it's going to work for me as well. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and my parents were the same way, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, it's funny because I have a very tomboy side and I have a very girly side and they coexist mm -hmm. super comfortably with each other. Um, and I think that's because I was brought up, you know, never being told there were things I could or couldn't do mm -hmm. um, uh, by virtue of my gender. Um, and, you know, if, if, uh, if I was interested in doing something that, you know, my father was maybe doing for my brother, I could do it as well, right? Like there was never... Um, yeah, there was there was never a oh no, that's for boys. Um, so I for everyone to hear there for sure. Right. Well, let's talk more about the games themselves because this is where you really do start to shine. If you hadn't already with your quote-unquote professional racing career, um, so first of all, I want to unpack really your first time gig working in games, what that was, and what it was that you were doing as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we hit on it a little bit. It was, you know, I was contracting for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think what was like the exact first thing I did, but I did um, because of my my sort of video and art background. Mm -hmm. um, I did do a mix of of video work. Um, I did a lot of UI work. Um, mm -hmm. I actually think one of my first things was making like the load screen bar. 
um, for like Monster Truck Madness 2 or something. Because someone has Which, to do this job, listeners. Someone, someone has, has to do, to do it. it. <laughs> and it takes a strong creative mind for that loading bar to be a, a dirt track from a tire. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was my... Um, <laughs> I love, by the way, the fact that you can directly say that that loading bar, that track, that was me. Yeah. If I was to ever yeah. work on a game, I would yeah. want to have like, you know how Samuel L. Jackson in Star Wars, yeah. he wanted to have a purple lightsaber so he could point himself yeah. out. That would be me yeah. if I was a developer. Yeah. I'd want to stand. Yeah. yeah, genius right there. <laughs> exactly. Um, he knows what he's on about. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that, I mean, that was really a... a um, you know, it's funny, Cart Precision Racing, um, I was doing, um, I was directing their, their racing school animations, like the animation side okay. of it. And mm -hmm. um, it was funny because I was teaching at the local track. Um, there's a racing school there, I was teaching there. And um, and they had called, the, the producer running Cart Precision Racing had called the school and said, hey, we're looking for a subject matter expert um, you know, to help with this racing school component of cart mm -hmm. precision racing. And they're like, you, you know, you actually have somebody, <laughs> you have somebody who is working on your staff already. Um, and, uh, and so I ended up because I was a contractor, they didn't know who I was, but, um, so I ended up being subject matter expert for the racing school and then, and doing uh -huh. the animation work on it as well. And then ultimately ended up, um, being the art lead for all of Microsoft's racing games. Um, wow. And, and uh, you know, when we transitioned into Xbox, I was the head of the, uh, the art director for the racing studio. And then at some point uh, started working on, on, on more genres than that. But um, I mean, having done my research here, some of the games I've got written down that your name's attached to, right? Stop me if any of these are wrong, but I've got Mass Effect, Crackdown, Gears of War, you worked at Epic, Bioware too. I mean, that's quite a list of titles you've got under your belt there. Are there any specific things you want to mention that you worked out on those? I mean, I know it's a lot, but wowie. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it was that time was interesting because, um, you know, when we transitioned to Xbox and, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of started to build these first party game studios, um, you know, part of our role and specifically mine is art director was, you know, at the, at the time, it was all about how do we create these games or partner with developers to create these games that will bring people to our console. And, you know, it was no mean feat for, for us to even get to creating a console, let alone getting an audience on it. And for a long time, it took us a long time to even get developers on board, right? Um, and so I was really fortunate in being able to work with all of these developers and really the goal was how do we make sure their vision is super focused? Um, how do we make sure that particularly from a graphics standpoint um, and fidelity and style that we're delivering on something that um, really differentiates us from any other game with, again, the idea is they have to come to Xbox to, to play this. Yes. And so the bar was incredibly high um, uh, in terms of, of how games looked and felt and how they delivered on 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 their vision and so i feel and you know i learned so much in a short period of time in being able to work with these world-class developers um and across this whole different set of genres mm -hmm. um and across you know uh, dozens of different kinds of production methodologies and you know when we talk about learning and carry those learning forward you know being able to get that much breadth and depth um you know i would say in the course of 10 years um, was invaluable in terms of lessons learned. Yeah, absolutely. And from here, you went from director of arts at Microsoft Studios to the opportunity, and here's where we're going into the Halo stuff, folks, at 343. So how did that come around? Yeah, I, um, so, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I think ended up being a little bit of a, of, of, a superpower for me uh, through the course of working across a lot of games is um, I I was uh, I was able to bring a, a really particular focus to to I would say sort of the end game 
right? Mm -hmm. Which is always crazy that last eight months of development when you're making the really hard choices creatively and technically and and even though I was in the role of art director, I would often be on site with our developers, spend a lot of time in Liverpool with Bizarre Creations, mm -hmm. um, time in Sweden with our, 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 our developers there, like, um, and, and shutting a game down really gave me a lot of experience in working across all the disciplines, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that's also when I sort of found my footing as, um, being able to sit very comfortably in creative and also in production. Yes. Um, yeah. And being able to sort of speak both languages and being able to make decisions across both of them that hopefully got us to a place that um, delivered on our vision without without compromising uh, um, the the things that were important. And so they, um, Shane Kim was the head of, of Xbox at the time, and um, he had asked me, this was back in, I think, probably early 2008, um, to move into an executive producer role, um, and uh, which was great because um, I would say art and the creative disciplines at Microsoft, even within the gaming division, like, it was just new for Microsoft. And so mm -hmm. it, there were a lot of really hard fought battles for the creative disciplines to be recognized. And for someone to move, you know, someone from, uh, usually it was a producer or someone from test or whomever who would ultimately, you know, move into those EP roles. And um, I was really proud to be able to do that coming from one of the creative disciplines because it, it just, we hadn't done it before. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, um, you know, when, when Bungie spun out and Bonnie was starting to form 343 and we had a few other studios sort of redefining themselves, um, you know, I had the opportunity to look at a, a few of those and decide sort of where I wanted to go, which of course was not uh, a hard, a hard question to answer yeah. for myself. I was a huge <laughs> Halo fan, right? I've been uh -huh. a huge Halo fan since, since CE. So it had all of those ingredients that I loved, which was mm -hmm. the world building and the characters and um, uh, that ability to, to transport. Um, it's just a natural fit, really, that sounds. Yeah, yeah. So it just, it really felt like a, a dream come true. And I was, I was brought on, um, Bonnie brought me on um, at 343 when we were really just starting to work on um, the game project that we were we were sort of ideating on with with Peter Jackson at the time, mm -hmm. um, and then ultimately we decided that we were going to build Halo Four internally, um, mm -hmm. and so then uh, I actually moved over to to build and lead that team. So what does that mean? Just I mean, because I'm sure there might be some people wondering, what does it mean to build a game internally? Then, yeah, so. Um, you know, first party, Xbox first party is a combination of studios that Microsoft wholly owns. Mm -hmm. um, and then studios that we have an exclusive, likely uh, exclusive um, partnership with. And so we work with both. Um, we, so when I was, for instance, when I was director of art for, for Microsoft Studios, I actually worked across both the internal studios Mm -hmm. um, where they're internally developed, Microsoft, you have a Microsoft email address in all likelihood, yeah. <laughs> um, and the external studios, which would be, you know, like a Bizarre Creations or an Epic or Bioware. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, you know, with, with internal studios, it's, you know, it's a huge investment um, to build um, on the, you know, on the flip side you know, they're internal. And so you don't have to worry about them going off and doing something else. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's sort of the difference. They all are sort of held to the same first party bar, um, which is, you know, really setting an example on the platform. With first party, uh, you know, there's definitely opportunities because of proximity to platform, et cetera, to really, really be able to double down on the sort of the platform differentiators. I would say, which is um, sort of an interesting creative difference. 
lovely. Thank you for explaining that for us. I know some people still have that, like, that would love to have the insight of, you know, what it what even is internal at Microsoft yeah. and external. So, yeah, no, that's great and first insight. First party and third party and second yeah, exactly. party and all crazy things. Absolutely. Yeah. But the other thing you can give us insight on, I mean, we can only touch on this slightly if you want to, but Halo 4, what was it like to work on Halo 4? I will mention here, by the way, um, just because I, you know, if you're even marginally interested, I hadn't played a single Halo game my entire life until the start of this year. And I've played through all of them in chronological order, I think, for the Master Chief storyline. Uh, and the next game I actually need to play is 4, and then 5, and then I'm ready for Infinite. Excellent. So. You'll so yeah, set me, me up for four. <laughs> I yeah. will let you know, but I want to know what it was like for you on the other side to actually produce it. What was that time in your life like? <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was an extraordinary experience. So first of all, the opportunity, uh, I, I don't even know where to start. So the opportunity, A, as 343 to be able to build a Halo game, mm -hmm. right? Um, because at the time, I mean, I think we started with maybe a dozen people, um, you know, and everyone very passionate about Halo. Amazing. The opportunity to build a team from scratch. And this is where when I talk about all of those learnings of working with so many partners, like you start mm -hmm. to have a really clear idea of what, what you think is important, what you really want from a team and a culture and an environment and processes and all of those things. Um, so being able to to build up and, and pick a team, I say pick, it was very hard to recruit people when you couldn't actually tell them what you were doing. Yeah, um, very secretive. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so proud of that time. Um, you know, at the same time, all of those things really exciting, being the first developer to build a Halo game who wasn't Bungie, there was so much doubt, right? There was so much doubt, even internally, right? In the organization mm -hmm. over our ability to do it. Um, and certainly a lot of doubt externally. Um, and so that level of challenge, you know, we kind of went into it feeling like we were the underdogs. And I think that really sort of um, pulled us together and pushed us mm -hmm. forward. But then you couple onto that, the creative excitement around what do we want? chief's next chapter to be mm -hmm. um like where do we want his journey to go and then on top of that knowing that we love the past halo games but also knowing we're going to have our own voice by virtue of being different people mm -hmm. what does that look like like all of those things were such an extraordinary mix of of um exciting and and terrifying and um challenging pieces to bring together and at the end of the day you know we ended up with a with an extraordinary team and i think that um we would say we're we're incredibly proud of what we did i'm incredibly proud of what the team did um i feel really like a, a lot of personal um uh passion and 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 pride around sort of what we were able to do with Chief and Cortana's story. That was sort of the thing that was nearest and dearest to my heart was yeah. who do we want Chief to be? What is his evolution coming out of three? What is the, you know, how does Cortana evolve? Who are they together? How do we, you know, um, really take the next step in their story? That was the thing I was and most invested this in. This is the thing I love the most is it was after Halo 4 that you moved into transmedia and entertainment storytelling. So clearly the story had such a lasting impact on you because this is when you started to look into, you know, the TV show and expanding the Halo universe and other visual brands. So um, that must have been such an exciting step for you. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I, I loved the universe, right? And, and there were so many stories to tell and part of it's like, you just want to get it out to more people, right? Because mm -hmm. this thing you love and this thing you've seen other people um, like really make part of their lives, you, you want to bring that to more, uh, more people. And also, you know, such a gift to be able to explore the kind of Chief and Cortana story we were able to do in four, but games are always going to, uh, you know, first person shooters in particular you know, there's there's things they do incredibly well in terms of your sense of personal investment in that character and things mm -hmm. that are harder to do, um, which is 
uh, also being able to look at that character from another external perspective and tell a different kind of character story with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the roots of the television series were really wanting to do kind of longer form storytelling um, uh, uh, with 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 Chief and in the, in the universe and bringing the universe to life in a different way and in live action um, than, than we're able to do in the games. And so mm-hmm. differentiated, um, you know, it's not one is meant to be better than the other. It's just mm-hmm. how does it give you a different experience? How does it let you relate to the story differently and to the characters differently by virtue of, of you know, how the story is being delivered to you? Those are, those are all the things that were really exciting. Absolutely. And it's a big moment in time for Chief. Now, I'm not going to farm you for Halo Infinite facts because I'm not that kind of gal. But uh, what's it like to be over in Budapest when you know, you know, your team and and your colleagues and your friends are about to release the next chapter in his saga? What is it? What is that like to experience? You know, it's so um, it's funny because, you know, I've I've been there for obviously um, on the front line with Halo 4, but certainly with 5. And it's such a galvanizing time for the studio. And Mm so I totally feel like I'm missing out on on that moment. And, you know, watching it from afar and watching assets start to come together. You know, it's hard because I can't, like, I can't even, like, play daily builds from out here just (laughs) by virtue of, I mean, I, I could probably try harder and do it. But <laughs> You're very <laughs> I don't have busy. A lot of time. I don't have a lot of time. Um, uh, I don't know if I'd risk getting a, a dev kit sent out here. But, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that, you know, bring you together as a studio. And so, you know, I feel like I'm missing that. On the other hand, I, I feel like I have this whole other family here now with, with mm-hmm. our crew. You know, we have a crew of, I don't know, 800 plus. Um, Wow. And we're fighting our own battles over here and we're in the trenches together over here. So I'm getting it uh, here as well. Um, And so it's, it's a really interesting feeling. And, you know, I, for a long time, I tried to stay so connected with everything happening back at the studio Mm -hmm. all the time. And there just weren't the hours in the day, right. With the time difference. Um, And so now I really have to prioritize what time I am able to spend, um, uh, with with the studio um but i will get back in time for launch and the lead up to launch for sure well before (laughs) it so i kind of get we'll get the best best of both worlds wonderful now i do want to talk to you a little bit more about your experiences as a leading very integral lady very um a very out there lady when when you're in the industry uh and i want to are there three words essentially i want to mention and if anyone listened to the shannon loftus episode you might remember these three words can you tell us a little bit more about the ladies of madness and what that (laughs) is because it's so wonderful Oh my gosh. Um, I love that she said that. I mean, and if you have not watched Shannon's, watch it because I guarantee you she's about 20 times smarter and wittier than I am. Um, She's dropped 100% as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She literally is like the the best. So definitely watch that. Um, No, you know, Shannon and I kind of came up together, which is amazing. It's amazing to have that kind of relationship in this industry for so long. Mm -hmm. I think when I started, when I met her, I think I was on, on maybe Midtown Madness, having done Monster Truck Madness too. And she was Mm -hmm. on, um, uh, Motorcycle Madness. Am I getting this? There's a madness of motocross here. Motocross Madness. Jeez. (laughs) My Budapest brain. Um, she was on Motocross Madness because strangely they were in different studios and then they all came together. Uh-huh. Um, and there was a third of us. Um, there's, there was um, Christina Chen and then the fourth was um, another Kiki, Kiki McMillan. And it's funny because the four of us worked across all these madness games. And when you think about, oh, the industry is, is so male dominated and we were this like incredibly tight unit um, across all these these madness games and just like we learned together we 
cried together. Like it was such an amazing time. And to this day, we are all so close.、Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, Shannon and, and Christina. I think Christina is at, at Google now for now until we get her back.、Um, <laughs> like I, I still lean on them and and the other Kiki as we call each other.、Um, I still lean on them so much, both personally and professionally.、Um, and、uh, yeah, it, it feels like they've been such a support system, especially as we've gone. You know, we've kind of gone to different places and come back together. And Xbox、mm-hmm. has changed, and the industry has changed, and You know, you kind of need your your people, especially, frankly, as sometimes as as、um, uh, women in the industry, you need you need that you need that、um, I, you know network is a cold word for it. But、um, that's almost pretty much how、people. Shannon explained it, though. And she mentioned, you know, this all started off with you and Bonnie and Shannon back in the day, E three.、Uh, I think it was a happy hour bar or something. But how it was essentially <laughs> how you could all. Lean on each other in in this world that looked very different to how you were, and and you essentially grew from there. And as you found more women who also wanted to, again using that cold word, you say network, and it became a much、yeah. bigger thing of women in gaming. So how did that come to be? How exciting was it be to on the forefront of that? Yeah, I mean it was so organic, right? And、mm-hmm. you know it's it's now like it started off as a community of of.、Um, I don't even want to say necessity because it it was it was. I think it became a necessity as as we understood what we sort of got from each other,、mm-hmm. um, but you know with Bonnie and and Shannon and myself and and others at the time and there were, and there was a a handful. You know it was it was the comfort of of you know after slogging through a day at GDC right and,、um, you know. People. Asking you like, are you a game developer? Usually, you would get, and, I, and this is not to, to、um, sort of crap on marketing, but you would usually get like, oh, you must be in marketing because you know,、mm. God forbid, you you、um, be a developer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You must be ancillary, or you know, a, a partner.、Um, but、uh, you know, you, you'd spend these days and and just being able to sit together. And relax, and talk about the things you're comfortable talking about, and not like trying to like rack your brain for what's common ground with somebody, so you can have a、mm-hmm. conversation. And then being able to reflect on, you know, the shitty things that may have happened during the day or experiences you had. Like, you just needed that grounding and that comfort、mm-hmm. level.、Um, and then that really grew to to us being a support system for each other. And and from there, right? There was not just being a sounding board, and and you you know, and you attract more of each other, right? Then it became not just how do we be a sounding board for each other, but what are the things we want to do? What do we want to change?、Mm-hmm. How do we how do we sort of galvanize more people and ourselves to drive for the kinds of change that、um, that mean we don't have to like. Get together at the end of the day with a drink and and sort of. You don't of have to hunt for the, each other. Bitch about the things that the happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very much so, just there, and this is something I've asked. You know, almost all of our guests, I'd say, is that you know, change is a very key word, and I'm curious what that means to you. How would you define change, or or what do you think are elements in the industry that we can really take a hold of and. Change it for the better. I mean, I think I think we've already made some really huge strides in the last few years. As someone、mm-hmm. who's been here maybe five years, I'd say, and very much at the beginnings of her career in the games industry, even I can see it's changed significantly from the beginning. But what about you, a veteran? What what do you still think needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is just a really fundamental reframing of. Um, you know the change isn't for so long. It was about oh, we just need to recruit more women, right?、Mm-hmm. Or you know, take any any、um, uh, uh, sort of、uh, diverse group, um, and uh, and that that a lot of the focus of that was kind of a numbers game, right? And then you would get well, but we can't find anyone, and blah blah blah. Really, what、mm-hmm. it needs to be is about how do you create a culture. Where a couple things happen—a culture where people feel like it's a place they want to come work, right?、Yeah. And、um, and and what that does is it drives more 
more girls and young women to get into the field to begin with because they can actually see it as a place they might want to be. I right? want to stay as well when they get there. That's the other part of it, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's the recruiting and the pipeline. And then there's how do we create this culture where people do want to stay and where they feel they can grow, right? Because we can keep people, we can recruit, we can keep people. But if it's not a place where they want to stay long term, or they mm -hmm. feel like it's not for them, or the environment doesn't feel like somewhere they can thrive, then it doesn't really matter that you've recruited them because you lose them anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it really is about what is the cultural shift that drives so it's not even just about diversity, it's just about an inclusive culture where people feel comfortable, right? And then the third part of it is, um, you know, you have to be able to take chances on people who may not have like the huge resume that someone else may have because they didn't get the same opportunities, mm -hmm. right? So you have to be able to think about how do we hire for potential and invest in this person, even though it feels a little risky um, mm -hmm. because it will, it, it will, it will pay off in the end. It will be so worth it. Um, absolutely. And I love that and you that's mentioned all about that cultural too. shift. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's, it's building a safe place for anyone to feel like they can enter the games industry. And to me, at least, the first thing that needs to happen there is that people are reflected in the industry that they look at and they can see naturally that they are accepted and they're welcome and that it's not up to them to break through. And whilst it's, you know, it's brilliant when people do come through and charge the way, but it's easier when they can see they're already welcome and accepted. Mm -hmm. And that kind of inclusive culture is good for everybody. Everybody mm -hmm. thrives in that. And it, particularly when it's a, it's a creative endeavor and the level of collaboration and problem solving and intensity mm -hmm. is there. Um, that that level of inclusivity just just makes it um, a, a more successful environment, regardless of you know your background. Absolutely, and then that's not just in regards to the industry, but obviously in the gamers who we are talking to as well. Katie had a huge section on this, and I loved hearing her thoughts on this. And I do very quickly want to spotlight something wonderful that you did, which was a Limitless Solutions prosthetic and a collaboration you did with the Halo Arbiter. We do have a picture of this. Again, if you are listening to the podcast still and haven't come over to the Microsoft UK YouTube channel, come and find the timestamp and watch this and have a look at this arm. Can you tell us what this is and how it came to be? Because it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I will say both um, as 343 and Xbox I'm super proud of is um, you know, one of 343, one of our core values is giving back, right? Because we mm -hmm. get so much, we get so much from our community and our fans and our audience. And so when there are opportunities for us to, to sort of pay that forward, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's super special for all of us. Like that's, that's one of the benefits I would say of working on Halo is the opportunity to do things like this and to give back mm -hmm. in a different way. And so Limitless is a group that um, creates and, and, and donates sort of a lower, cost, uh, lower cost prosthetics for children. And so these are sort of magnetic sort of snap-on pieces and there's, there's a, a number of different IPs that also participate, but we have a chief arm and we have an arbiter arm um, and we have so a, just a multiplayer Spartan arm. Well, and, and like, I can't even begin to express how amazing it is to see a child light up, right? And and it's about, again, getting back to inclusivity. They should mm -hmm. feel as powerful as, as, as anybody else, right? And so to be able to help, you know, to work with a group like this, to help sort of enable them to do this work um, is, uh, is incredibly, incredibly rewarding. I can only imagine how brilliant it is for, for children, for anyone really to see that, you know, that they are reflected from the companies that and the, mm -hmm. and the dev teams that they adore the games from. So, yeah, just honestly, I'll say it a million times and I'll say it once more. Kiki, thank you just for being wonderful just throughout your entire darn <laughs> career. 
and into the future. Um, I would imagine if you weren't so busy in Budapest, I would steal you for another hour if possible. But unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for today. But before you do go, I do have one more thing from you. You were asked a question at the top of the show from Katie Jo Wright. And so now it's your turn. Is there a question you would like to ask our next guest? I'm not going to tell you who they are, though. So the question can oh, be well, as open and interpretive <laughs> as you would like Gosh, it to be. Um, I feel like this is one of those things you guys should have prepared me for so I wouldn't say <laughs> something stupid. <laughs> who would you most want to jump into a session of overcooked with Ooh, that is a phenomenal question okay right. i don't think how i would answer that, that but there's honestly, so many there's so many facets to that Right. Yeah, that's multi-layered, that is. I love it. Well, I'm going to be thinking about it non-stop. If you want to know how our next guest answers it, then you're going to have to make sure you come back and watch the next episode. But today has been phenomenal. Thanks again, Kiki, so much for joining me. Uh, make sure you are watching, subscribed over to the Microsoft UK YouTube channel for all future episodes, or you can find us, if you just want the audio-only version, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Um, I will see you in a couple of weeks' time, though, everyone. Kiki, Thanks once again. Let us know when the TV shows out and I'll speak to you very soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me.